everyone. Welcome to Disrupt. Today, we're going to be talking about institutions, um, which is a really broad term, but this is just our early introductory episodes. We'll be talking about what the field of political science thinks about institutions and lead into more specific episodes in the weeks to come. We're excited to use institutions to kick off our quote unquote second season. So here we go. Well, when we're talking about institutions, that is such like a big, broad word that can be used to describe so many things, especially in political science. I think, you know, when you talk about institutions in like every everyday things or like I know institutions, the subject comes up a lot in social justice um, discussions, but tend to think like structures, buildings, um, like formal ways of being. And that's like one definition or like a few definitions that operate within political science, but um, institutions are actually like a lot bigger than that as a topic. Yes, it's it's interesting because I think like you say, it's really normal to think of institutions as like the World Bank and actual international institutions. But in political science, we also think of them as a set of formal rules. So constitutions, for example, informal norms and shared understandings that constrain and prescribe political actors' interactions with one another. Right, so that can even be like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example that you wouldn't, you know, I guess normally quote unquote describe as an institution, but um, you could even describe, okay, so um, the American flag, for example, like when you stand up um, to say the Pledge of Allegiance or sing the national anthem or whatever it is, like taking your hat off or putting your hand over your heart, I think that's even like kind of a social institution. So it doesn't have to mean just these like set of rules and whatnot, kind of like what you already alluded to, Gabby. And then I think you touched on something else that was really important there. Um, institutions vary from level to level, like, you know, depending on what level of governance you're looking at. If you're looking at um, the very local level, what institutions exist there, all the way up to international institutions that um, kind of govern the whole international system, like the United Nations or um, the World Health Organization um, and whatnot. Totally. And even within the international institutions, it's like, are these economic institutions like the World Trade Organization? Are they security institutions or even health organizations? Which means it's really a tricky area to define and talk about and discuss. But it's also like one of the main areas that international relations talks about. Totally. And I think and this is discussed so much in the political science literature, um, whether you believe in um, the effectiveness of institutions or not. Um, and we'll get to, you know, what international relations theory um, think about institutions in a little bit. Um, but institutions by and large are sort of like either the medium of inter interstate interactions, um, like the venues through which these interactions happen um, or they just kind of set, you know, norms and rules um, and have some sort of influence in how states talk to one another and um, whatnot. So they are very, very important. And I kind of like the way you broke that down, like almost like as though there's three buckets that we can think about how institutions are studied, like 
what's going on in institutions? How are they mediating interactions, like you said? And then there's also interactions, or I suppose like how institutions create things by being, but then there's also maybe a more critical lens when we're thinking about, you know, what are some of the implications of these things or where did they come from? Like, what is their history? What is the history of the UN or the World Trade Organization? How has the World Trade Organization done some really bad things? Or, you know, what, what where does that come from and all of the norms that lead to that? So I think, yeah, there's just a lot. <laughs> totally. And, you know, we'll get to those critical perspectives later. Um, and we'll definitely link some interesting readings that um, we have um, surrounding like the history of institutions, the development of these institutions, um, and especially how they kind of seemingly imploded after the fir- first and second um, world wars. Ooh. That's a great, that's a great section of readings. Sorry, I was just thinking back (laughs) to the article I read and I was like, yeah, those are some interesting like analyses. And I think, so one of the books um, I'll suggest, or I guess we will suggest um, by Mark Mazower, um, I think it was published in 2013. And of course I don't remember the name. but oh, I, do. I do it's called governing the world oh yes governing the world the history of an idea from yeah. sometime to sometime I don't know um and there's definitely like faults and critiques that can be levied at that book but I do think that it gives like a great general and a, a definitely like very western perspective of how um these how institutions emerged and especially how they were like weaponized in a way by the West to serve their, um, to serve Western interests, um, which we still continue to see today. Yeah. And I think Mazar is kind of like, it was written in 2013. So it's like relatively recent compared to a lot of like old school political science literature on institutions. But what I think maybe it's a, it does a really good job of doing is it talks about the historiography of where global institutions came from versus like some of the more traditional, if you go on a syllabus and it's like week two and they're like, we're talking about institutions, you'll see a name like Keohane. And those readings sometimes are not very interesting because they, you know, use prisoner dilemma game theory and they take a really attempted objective approach to understanding why states follow rules when otherwise they wouldn't, which maybe at the time in the 1980s seemed really novel and exciting. But for us now, it's not as interesting because we're like, yeah, we know that institutions constrain states. That's not, that's not news to anyone. Totally. And I think some of the analysis is definitely, uh, and we'll get into this later, but it's just super Western centric about like why why states comply or how um, they're supposedly these like shared morals or whatever. Um, and that's actually like, you know, that's not the case at all. Why some, you know, smaller states I'm thinking of um, like Iran, for example, why it um, used some or has like Um, interacted with some institutions in the past and it's like it wasn't because it necessarily wanted to Iran holds this very deep distrust of foreign powers um, like dating back for centuries but it was 
forced to interact um, in these institutions in order to be seen as legitimate. And even then, uh, you know, Iran was basically like curb stomped by foreign powers <laughs> through these institutions. So um, yeah, that's something or the type of thing that often these old pieces of literature um, really miss or um, cloud in their analysis. Yes, 100% agreed. I think that's a good way also to talk about what some of the main IR theories think about institutions. And we're saving all of the good critical stuff for another episode, so don't you worry. Um, we're just doing sort of the basics here. But our, our old friend, Realism, um, surprise, surprise, says that international institutions don't really matter that much. Um, because they're just contingent on the interest of powerful states. And of course they're thinking about US, Russia, all of those things. Um, but because if we remember realism focuses so much on power and survival, um, they don't really think much about international institutions or for, or for that matter, um, institutions of, for example, non-proliferation because that doesn't really factor into sort of the black and white thinking of more traditional realism. Right. And institutions are really just like tools or weapons um, through which to exercise like um, or act on the whims of these powerful states. They don't they don't really ascribe any type of agency to the institutions themselves. Um, um, and then liberalism, on the other hand, um, is kind of. I mean, opposite in a way from realism. Um, liberals view institutions as incredibly important for um, the spread of these, you know, democratic liberal ideals. Um, institutions are mechanisms to, you know, keep things fair, keep things democratic, um, create order among states. Um, and also they sort of, take on a life of their own. So there's all kinds of studies into the, like institutional or organizational psychology and how institutions actually become entities of themselves that have effects on states and constrain, constrain or enable actors um, in and of themselves. And I think it's interesting because like you said, like liberalism has this sort of institutions as constraining and however they constrain, but ultimately they're constraining on that anarchic world order because they share so many of the same founding beliefs as realism. And constructivism is different, but it's still one of the, the big three um, in international relations. And so they're focused on not just social norms, but the social construction of institutions. So norms are certainly one things that they look at, but they also look at the principles of these organizations, the rules that they have, sort of what, I guess, both the social construction of the institutions themselves, but also what do those institutions construct from their social existence? So it's a little more meta, um, but certainly more interesting. Totally. And I, it probably brings in a lot of that, or not, and it brings in a lot of that like historical context of the development of institutions. Why did they develop? How did they develop? Another interesting lens is feminism. And it's, I think, you know, we've kind of poo-pooed on feminism a little bit in previous uh, episodes of this podcast. Um, but I think actually feminism has a lot of really interesting stuff when it comes to institutions. Um, 
gender politics is power politics and sort of what that says about the masculinity of certain organizations or the femininity and how powerful, I guess, relatively certain institutions might be or what norms that perpetuates coming from a particular gendered lens. And the Marxist perspective of institutions really ties in um, to a lot of the stuff we've discussed in previous podcasts about um, what Marxism and historical materialism believe um, in terms of organizations, um, institutions that are run, supported by, sort of controlled and dominated by um, big global powers um, and how these institutions are just used as tools to impose the will of um, larger powers, more global powers onto um, smaller states, countries, um, populations, what have you, and how um, these institutions are really used to um, manage the affairs of the capitalist class and keep um, the poorer classes sort of subservient to the needs and the whims of powerful producing countries um, and used to extract um, labor and value um, from poorer countries. And that's pretty like common in institutional literature. Like we haven't talked too much about Marxism in some of our earlier episodes, but particularly the international monetary funds, structural adjustment programs. There's a huge amount of Mm. literature out there talking about how damaging they were to countries that accepted them and how it really like ruined a lot of more non-Western types of economies and countries and ways of being. Um, And a lot of that comes down to like what Marxist theory has to say about what these institutions are actually there for, even if they won't say that's what they're there for. Totally. And just to like build off your example, um, these poorer countries that are, you know, in some sort of monetary crisis because of, you know, whatever the reason, um, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, But in order to receive help from these international institutions, like the IMF or the World Bank that are supposed to be there to help um, these poorer countries or the countries in crisis are forced to adjust these structural adjustment programs, SAPs, um, but they're like very stringent um, austerity measures connected to these loans um, that require the country in crisis cut, like social spending, um, welfare programs, those types of things, um, which actually ends up putting these countries like, ends up further harming these countries and like individuals, the population of these countries um, while growing the wealth of a few um, elites and um, the capitalist class. So yeah, Gabby, exactly to what you were saying. It's like, who who did these institutions actually work to the benefit of? Because it's not, it's not the states um, that, that need the help. Yeah, funny how that always seems to happen. Western neocolonialism and capitalism and all that it seems like it just seems to work through different lenses it's odd yeah wild but yeah we're really excited to talk I'm I'm really excited to talk about institutions mostly because there's just even just our conversation today I'm like wow we could talk about structural adjustment programs we could talk about norms we could talk about um like the history of 
some of these institutions and different levels, there's like so much out there. So if you, the listener, have like something that you would love to hear us talk about, like that would be a great way for us to structure this season. Absolutely. There's so much for us to get, dig into here. Um, and I think our first episode or maybe first few episodes, um, specifically, we want to focus on um, the colonial history and the colonial roots of institutions and how that continues to play into international institutional politics today. I'm pumped. Not about the colonialism, but about the topic to talk about it. <laughs> but about the topic. Well, thank you so much for listening just to this brief little intro episode. We're so excited to um, discuss institutions more with y'all in the coming weeks. So if you have any feedback or have any topics that you want to discuss or anything that we got wrong, um, you know, shoot us an email at disruptrcp at gmail.com or on Twitter at disruptrcp. And we can't wait to hear from you. Bye. Bye.